0: Test, 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 test. Good morning, church. Do we not serve a gracious God? Can I get an amen this morning? Come on. Every, when I preach, God is so gracious to me in that He gives me a metaphor and illustration that's current and usable to optimize your understanding of what I'm about to say. Do I have any LSU fans in the house? Huh? Come on. So I'm continuing our series on the power of prayer. And it's obvious to me that there were a whole lot of Tigers fans praying about that game yesterday. Amen? And then I thought to myself, well, Lord, there had to be an equal number of Ole Miss fans praying about that game, too. And then I thought, Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to minister in a state more faithful and fervently committed to prayer than the state of Mississippi. Come on now. Come on now. All right. All right, I'm going to cut this mic up. You know what? And I just want to say this. That's why they call it Death Valley. Test, test, test. I can't do the Death Valley voice with this mic as good as I could with that Mike. Now we're we're continuing our Life on Mission series. I'm going to be talking to you this morning about prayer. I'm 30 years old. I turned 30 this year. And a paradigm shift happened to me as I turned 30. And, And I'll tell you what actually has happened to me. At 30 years old, you're young again. I'm serious about this. So at 17, 18, 19, and 20, you're old. Because everybody I was hanging out with was a little bit younger than me. I was finishing high school and then into college and then graduating college. Like, I just felt older than the people that I was hanging around. Well, at age 30, now I'm hanging around uh, older people. Not old, but older, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so it's like, all these people are looking at me, and they're always saying things like, oh, man, you're young, you know. Oh, you got plenty of time. And so for whatever reason, again, seriously, at age 30, a paradigm shift is happening. Now I'm young again, even though I'm older than I've ever been. So for me, that's kind of a, it's been a a useful paradigm shift because I better understand now that I'm kind of in this developmental phase where I'm kind of through my training and God's got me immersed in the place where He wants to use me and I'm learning and, and, and getting ideas from people who are more seasoned Those of you who are older than me may appreciate the description of seasoned rather than old, okay? And so that's been helpful for me to kind of understand that things have shifted for me, and as a result of that shift, i got to pay attention to different things. This morning, here's my hope. That as I'm discussing the efficacy and the power of prayer, that you have a paradigm shift in your life. This is a church that absolutely is unapologetically committed to the power and the efficacy of prayer. There's somebody that mentioned to me that their wife was homebound because of uh, medical troubles. And so, uh, Diana Trockelman, if you're watching this morning, I just want you to know that we're praying about you. We're glad that you're watching with us. And we want you to feel a part of what we're doing right here in this main service. So in talking about the power and the efficacy of prayer, I prayed a lot about this. And the direction I feel God leading me is to disclose to you my four favorite stories of prayer in all of Scripture. And these are stories that we're going to take a look at. And First, I'm going to give you a little bit of the background, some of the history, some of the context. And then I'm going to ask a question in terms of how you would respond if you were one of the characters in one of these particular stories. And then I'm going to talk about the frame of mind we've got to have if we're living life on mission and how we've got to be concerned with others' welfare and get past this self-centered, superficial, materialistic religion and focus really on the power and the transformation possible when the Lord Jesus Christ enters the life of a sinner. The first story I want to talk to you about emphasizes the importance placed on our need to pray for the success of others. This particular story is found in the book of Exodus. It's the 32nd chapter, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. Now let me give you a little bit of context before I jump into this. God has told a man named Abraham that because of his faithfulness, that through Abraham God was going to bless many and form a nation of lots of people. And as as twists and turn of history would have it, the Israelites, Abraham's descendants, find themselves in captivity in Egypt as slaves. And God raises up a man named Moses to lead this people out of the place of their captivity. In the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we get the story of of the traverse of the Israelite people from captivity towards the land of promise. And so there comes a point where God calls Moses up to a mountain. The mountain is Mount Sinai. And for 40 days and 40 nights, God and Moses are fellowshipping together on the mountaintop. And the people below, because Moses tarried on the mountain, have taken their gold and jewelry, which they accumulated in Egypt, they've made a calf, and they've started to worship this image of a calf. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 32, chapter Exodus chapter 32 and verse 9. The Bible says this, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God has seen the unfaithful behavior of the Israelite people. And as a result, he's decided, I might just set up a whole nation under you, Moses. And I ask you, as you're sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, to reflect on what you would do if given that opportunity. God looks at you and says, I'm about to set you up. Through through you, I'm about to start a whole nation of people. Lots of us are so selfish and self-centered in our approach to faith that we take that opportunity and we never look back with a second thought for our fellow man. And that's what this Life on Mission series has been about, to get you out of this, this area where you're the only person that exists in your realm. Where you're the only person in your life that really matters to you. True, authentic disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are first, concerned with the success of others. And second, they're concerned with the success of others. When Jesus tells us, go the second mile, or turn the other cheek in the Sermon on the Mount, those are absolute mandates if you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're going to be concerned with going the second mile for somebody who maybe doesn't deserve your efforts or if you're going to turn the other cheek for somebody that maybe rightfully should be rebuked or 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 that you should maybe retaliate against then that's the nature of discipleship. And so what we see here in Moses his mindset is concern for God's people. And what happens so often and so easily is that the enemy feeds us just a little bit of success A little bit of peace, a little bit of hope, a little bit of stability, and then rather than get out and live life on mission and really have concern like Moses was concerned for God's people, rather than us have concern for the people of God, we start to only be concerned with the person we see looking back in the mirror at us. Life on mission is a life of service. God, forgive those of us who have not been out living on mission and who have become so self-consumed that we'd take the opportunity, if we had it, to get advancement above our fellow man. The second story I want you to look at, not only do we need to, if we are living life on mission, pray for the success of others, we need to pray for the serenity of others. So, again, I'm trying to be candid with you here, church. These are the things that when I'm in the thick of the battle... I read and and they encourage me. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we get the story of a man named Elisha. Here's Here's the context. The nation of Israel is divided into actually two nations. You talk about breaking the heart of God. And so God has anointed men that we would call prophets that he gives his word to that they can relay to the king and to God's people in hopes of bringing about the obedience of the people of God. One of these prophets is a man named Elisha, and there's a man who is a king of a nation called Aram, and his goal is to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And so this king, the king of Aram, will go into his innermost part of his courts, and he'll talk to his generals, and he'll give them a place and a time where he wants his generals to attack Israel. And Elisha, who is nowhere near, gets word from God that this is the plan of the king of Aram, and so he tells the king of Israel where the attack from the king of Aram is coming from. And so what happens is every time the king of Aram tries to attack, to, to attack the nation of Israel, the Israelites are prepared for battle. And so the king of Aram is starting to get really frustrated, and he's like, who is it on my staff that's actually for the Israelites? And they're like, King, it's none of us. We're all completely committed to you and to your mission. It's a man, a prophet of God. His name is Elisha. And even if you would give us direction in your own bed chambers, he would still be aware of what your plans are. So Elisha's in his house. He has a servant in his house with him. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, the story picks up. When the servant of the man of God, the man of God here being Elisha, got up and went outside the house early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. The king of Aram has sent his forces and his troops to surround the house of this man of God, Elisha. And the servant comes back afraid. Don't be afraid, the prophet answers. Those who are with us. Hear this church are more than those who are with them and elisha prayed open up the eyes of my servant Lord so that he may see then the Lord opened the servants eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around elisha what are you afraid of church what would it be if it was staring you in the face would strike terror at the core of your heart? And I want you to remember that the truth in that moment is greater is the force that is with you than the force that is opposing you, whatever the malady, whoever the enemy, whatever the force may be. John the Revelator says in First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world God told the Israelite people in Deuteronomy 31 I will never ever leave you church I will never ever forsake you the writer of the Hebrews repeats that in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 it doesn't matter what you're up against it doesn't matter how afraid you are it doesn't matter whether or not you feel like you have the resources of your own strength to beat the enemy that is standing at your face but God does and God is faithful And he is on your side and he will see you through whatever that situation is that seems impossible for you to overcome on your own strength. And so if you'll stay faithful to him, I promise you, he'll stay faithful to you. But here's what concerns me. Is that some of us walk around like Jesus Christ is not actually going to help us be victorious over our particular fear. And so, some of us, if we're in the position of Elisha, rather than pray that the eyes of our servant be opened, or the eyes of our family be opened, or the eyes of our friends be opened as they stand toe to toe with the enemy that they're fighting, our prayers get so selfish. If we were Elisha in this story, we'd have to reread the story, and it would sound something like this: God, my servant has just told me that the thing I am afraid of is right outside of my door. God, please open my eyes. God, give me peace. Give me strength. Give me the hope required to face the enemy and keep pushing forward. And when you have doubt in God's ability to make you victorious over your enemy, then our enemy, Satan, has successfully taken you out of the battle and you're now self-focused and you're no longer on mission. You will be victorious. Somebody shout amen right there before I, start, before I start doing all the preaching and amen. You know that takes me twice as long? Some of y'all are sitting there like, man, God is a God of victory. And he's going to make you victory in your situation. Somebody better get excited out there. Come on. The Tigers won. That's something to shout about. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you what I am terrified of, Okay. The thing I fear most on planet Earth is the hanging of blinds in windows. Now, I want to see a show of hands here. How many men, under the sound of my voice, have had to hang blinds for your wife? Raise your hand. God bless each and every one of y'all. Ladies, if that's your husband who's raised his hand, I want you to turn to him. You need to say, honey, thank you for loving me like Christ loved the church. Okay? We bought, I lived in Searcy, Arkansas. We bought an old house in Searcy. And the windows were worst case scenario for the hanging of blinds. They're made out of like this old steel that's so thin you'd think it's aluminum. But it's thick enough such that no screw or drill bit on planet Earth would actually penetrate. Okay, But the way the frame was, it, no blind could be mounted to the frame. You can't even conceptualize a monstrous beast like this with your imagination. But trust me, it existed. And I did battle And I actually came out victorious, thank you to the glory of God. So I had to get these blinds and jimmy them up in the window. It was like a whole duct tape, prayer-infested, faith-based growth opportunity for me. From the look of the blinds, you actually couldn't tell that they were put on so poorly. But people would come over and they would like, you know, try and adjust the blind, and the blind, you know, would inevitably fall. And so then, who would be responsible for having to meticulously and delicately put the blind back up? This guy, right? So that taught me about the transforming power of prayer. And I want to tell you, I want to give you a testimony today. If I would purchase a house with a thousand windows that had zero blinds, I know I'm going to be, be victorious thanks to the grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was a learning opportunity for me, and I made it, right? All right. So what's Elisha's mindset here? The mindset of Moses is he has concern for God's people. He's given a chance to be the guy. I'm going to bless you, Moses. Forget these guys. Moses says, no, Lord, remember them. Moses' mindset was that of concern for God's people. What was Elisha's mindset? A confidence in the victory of God. And I want to tell you, church, you need to walk around as though the victory is yours. As Christians, it is. And when you're facing something that seems bigger than you, if the enemy can get you to believe that, then you're going to start to self-reflect and pity party and get selfish and self-centered. And all your brothers who need you because of what God's done in your life don't have access to you because you're all focused on you. That's what, Elisha's, that's what Elisha's mindset is. That's what our mindset must also be. I want to read you another story here from the book of Luke chapter 22 I'm gonna read you verse 32 this is our Lord Jesus Christ he's praying for the sustenance of others In Luke 22 the Bible says this and let me give you some context here first Randy Kirby actually read from Luke 22 this morning this is the place in Scripture where Jesus has the last supper he's gonna have with his disciples and he's about to be crucified for your sins and for mine And I could have covered a few different prayers from Jesus. We would all know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And there's so much beauty in those words and there's so much we could learn. I could have also spoken about... The prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how in the moment of that struggle and torment, he's praying that God helps him conform his will to the will of Father God. Wow, what better message could we preach this morning than the need for our will to be conformed to the will of our Heavenly Father. But the words here from our Lord Jesus Christ to one of the disciples in his inner circle have always been meaningful to me I'll read these words for you he says Simon Simon talking about Peter here Satan has asked to sift all sift all of you as wheat but I've prayed for you Simon that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back strengthen your brothers now this is a point in time where where it would be very very easy For Jesus to not have prayed for the strength and sustenance of Peter. Because Jesus was well aware that soon Peter would fail in his faith and proclamation of the truth that Jesus really is the Messiah. But what's always been so comforting to me about these words is that I believe my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, listen to this church, is regularly going to the Father about Trent. Jesus is praying for me? I'll tell you, I'll I'll ask you this. Let me ask you this. This is the question that corresponds with this point. Where at in your life are you at or near the edge of failure? Where at in your life are you at or near the edge of failure? There is somewhere in your life where that's true for you. And no matter how much you want to deny it, Or how shameful it is for you to even think there's an area of your life in which that's true. The truth is, it exists. And the truth is, even though that part of your life is a reality, and even though you need to get victory and learn how to surrender that part of you over to the Lord Jesus Christ, his prayer for you, his love for you, his desire for you to have peace and have a sense of purpose. And have a life filled with passion and joy and hope is unchanging. Despite the fact that Peter here is on the verge of failure and and is going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ not once not twice, but three different times, does not cause Jesus to say, Simon, I know what's in your heart and you're done. You're going to deny me and that's it. You've seen my ministry. You know the power I have. You know that I'm the Messiah. And that you're going to deny me means you don't have what it takes to be a part of the family. On the contrary, Jesus is saying, Simon, man, I love you. And I know what's coming in your life. And I've already gone to the father on your behalf man and there's gonna be a time where it feels like you failed but I know you're coming back and man that's some of you just right there and it's so hard for you to see the need in others because of the need in you and the enemy's got some of you deceived wondering does Jesus really love me or you're in such denial about this thing that you've never even brought it to Christ And said, God, I confess this to you. I need your spirit's forgiveness and your power to help me surrender this to you. And I want to tell you that despite your imperfections and your inconsistencies, we serve a God that loves you and is going to the Father on your behalf. And so no matter how desperate it gets, no matter how alone and isolated you ever feel, Jesus Christ, He's always been there. Man, every deep valley you've ever had to walk through, He was there. Every mountaintop experience where you were high on the most high and life was incredible and nobody could shoot you down, He was there too. And He's never stopped loving you and He's never stopped going to the Father on your behalf. I want you to be encouraged by that. But even more so, I want you to follow His example. What's the mindset of our Lord Jesus Christ? Compassion for the struggle. Here's a guy who lived perfectly, that has every reason to get sick and tired of our failures and inconsistencies, and he never loses the compassion he feels towards us about the struggles that we put ourselves in. So my hope and prayer is that you look around and you find somebody that's in a struggle and you never tell them that you're praying with them at all, but that you start going to God on their behalf. And that you watch how, just like the prayers of Moses transformed the future of the Israelite kingdom, and how the prayers of Elisha transformed the -the in-the-moment level of peace his servant felt, how your prayers are going to transform the heart and mind and situation of somebody that probably doesn't even know you're praying with them. That's how our God works. Prayer changes God's heart and he's begging you to call out to him he's pursuing you he's going to god on your behalf and he's calling you through this message to do the same thing he's doing for you for others the last thing i want to mention is from the apostle paul so here, here's what i've done in scripture i've i've taken you through some of my favorite stories of prayer and you'd come across these chronologically if you're reading from genesis to revelation and i'm going to conclude with this this is Romans chapter 10 verse 1 in the book of Romans I feel like Paul self discloses a lot the Apostle Paul is the guy who wrote the book of Romans and it's near the end of his life and he gives us some insight right here in Romans chapter 10 verse 1 into the deep innermost parts of his heart and he tells you what the desire of his heart is let me read brothers and sisters my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved what are you obsessed with what's that thing that keeps you up at night that's constantly sucking your attention away from having attention focused on the Lord Jesus Christ what is it for some of us it's money these are the classical things for some of us it's fame for some of us it's where we live what we drive who we date how we look What's that thing for you? Maybe there's turmoil in your marriage and that's the thing that the enemy has tried to get you to obsess about. Maybe it's it's the struggle one of your kids is going through. Maybe you're struggling with a hurt habit or hang-up and the enemy's got you obsessed with that. The desire of the Apostle Paul, his obsession in life... Aside from his love and 100% surrender and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, was for the salvation of the people of God. And that church is what life on mission is about. That's the purpose for which you're created. That's why you're being conformed into the image of the likeness of Jesus Christ so you'll have compassion for others and that you can connect somebody to Him. And I want to tell you, church, that somebody, somebody on planet Earth has gotten obsessed about you and about your salvation. That's why you're sitting right here. Somebody has prayed for you. Somebody has gone to the Father on your behalf and said, Lord God, that you would save this individual. God, that you would show them your face, that you would shine your countenance upon them, that you would give mercy unto them and and grant them peace. And there is no greater moment in your life than that moment when a sin, sick, lost, alone, miserable, dying person met the Savior of the universe. And God lifted you up out of that pit. Come on, church. And he changed your life. And he gave you a mission. And he gave you a church family that loves you. And he gave you a reason to live and to talk and to walk and to have your being. That's what your life has got to be about. Connecting other people. Praise God. That is what your life has got to be about. Do you you not remember that time? Do you not remember that time? When you were alone. Man, when the shame of your sin-sick life was almost more weight than you can bear. Do you not remember when God reached down and transformed your life? You didn't deserve that. But how great and awesome and incredible does it feel to be inside the family of God? How dare you withhold that from others by not being obsessed about getting on mission? And I'm telling you, man, there is no greater feeling than being inside the family of God and seeing somebody that's without the family of God and saying man here's somebody that needs to obey the gospel here is somebody that needs peace and taking time man to connect and get to know somebody a little bit and serve them love on them just like Jesus and wait for that opportunity where God gives you the direction to say, boom, now's the time. Share with them the good news of Jesus. And you take somebody through the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and you tell them how that can be reenacted and they can get into Christ. That's what life is about. If I package that in a book and I sold it for a thousand bucks, I'd be a millionaire. But I can't because it's free. And you got access to it. Now act like what you have access to really can make a difference. And man, get out there and get obsessed. You've got to be obsessed with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not suggesting you flip that upside down. But I'm saying, man, we're so quick to forget. The Apostle Paul is somebody that remembered. I remember when I was a sinner. And I remember now that I'm saved. And there is nothing that anybody can do. They can beat me. They can starve me, I can be shipwrecked, I can be alone. There is nothing anybody can do to get me off mission. And so Paul says, my heart's desire, the desire of the deepest innermost part of my heart is to see God's people saved. That's what this whole series has been about. And I've had a renewed sense of just the need to get on mission. And my hope is that through this, you have the same I'm going to close in prayer. Maybe you're out there and you're not in the family of God. You've never obeyed the gospel. If that's you this morning, I want you to come forward. We want to lift you up in prayer and surround you and teach you about the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody out there today, God has brought to your mind a person that you need to pray for. If that's you, come forward. We want to do that together. We love you. We want to live in community with you. Whatever your need, after I pray while they sing, take this opportunity and come forward today. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the time in my life God, when I was lost and alone and sin sick and that Jesus came down even to me and transformed my life. And God, it's it's in Him and through Him and for Him, we do what we do and and we're asking that he's glorified in our lives every second, every breath we, may, we take. God, I pray if any out there have not obeyed the gospel, that you direct them forward and we can begin to teach them. If any out there need to pray and start becoming more obsessed with the salvation of their loved ones who are lost, I ask that you help them to come forward. And God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would help us as a people get on mission and be passionate about what you can do through men and women who are living in 100% total surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.